Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of Wildfire Matters, the podcast that covers all aspects of wildland fire management for the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. We talk with the people who help manage and protect our public lands, many dedicating their lives to the profession. Today, Jennifer and I are talking with a panel of subject matter experts who have been working on a new position series for wildland firefighters. They are here today to discuss this new series and answer questions submitted by some of our BLM fire employees. Welcome, Cindy, Jeff, LJ, and Rob. Welcome, everyone. Looking forward to this very informational uh, podcast with you guys. Thank you. Glad you're here. And thank you all for being here to talk about this new 0456 series um, or Wildland Firefighter series. And to let our listeners know, we have a little different format for today. We're not going to take the normal deep dive into each person's background and how they got started and where they are today, but they are going to introduce themselves and what they do for our BLM fire, as well as maybe give us a little background of how they got involved with this process and where they're at today. So we'll just go around and um, let you go, Jeff. Okay. Thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Jeff Arnberger. Uh, my current job, I work at the national office for the BLM and uh, fire and aviation management. I'm a deputy division chief for fire operations. I have a longer title than that, but it, nobody will know what that means. Um, uh, I've been fighting fire, involved in fire management since 1989. I started as a GS2 on an engine in Fabulous Wells, Nevada. Uh, so I'm get, coming to the tail end of my 34th uh, fire season now. Um, and me and the other folks here in the room were uh, tasked early on a few months ago with starting to work with an interagency DOI group uh, on implementation of the new uh, four, five, six wildland firefighter series. So we're working on drafting PDs and implementation guidance, that, that kind of stuff. So that's how I'm involved with it. And he talks about PDs as a position description, right? Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jennifer, for that clarification. LJ. Uh, good afternoon. I'm LJ Brown. I also work at the National Office in Fire and Aviation in the Division of Fire Operations as a fire management specialist, working with a variety of specific program areas. I've been with the BLM since the early 2000s, and uh, part of the reason I think I was tasked to work on these position descriptions specifically is I also worked on the previous iteration of standard position description effort that we did in 2018, uh, rewriting all the DOI standard position descriptions for firefighter positions at that time. So I was one of the early asks to be a part of this group. And Cindy, you're holding the mic over there. So Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'm Cindy Pogue. I also work at the National Office as the Human Resource Officer there for BLM. Um, while I don't have a wildland firefighting background, um, my I do have probably over 14 years of primarily working for human resources in the fire community in some fashion. But I do have probably over 30 years of service in eight over 30 years of service in doing HR for the federal service. Great. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for your service. <laughs> and Rob? Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Rob Berger. I'm one of the two senior fire program advisors working for FA. I uh, work for our fire director. I came to the BLM in 2002, started my fire career in 1995. And how I ended up on this group is... Uh, an ask from my boss to give a little bit more field perspective. LJ, Jeff, and I all have that field background, and they were looking for some diverse exposure there to best represent the BLM on the group. So uh, the BLM has three of us on that SME group as opposed to a few uh, less than some of the others. So anyways, thanks. Looking forward to be here today. All right. Thanks, Rob. So before we get started with our questions, um, that were asked by some of the members of um, BLM Fire. Um, we have one question we're gonna have Jeff start with um, explaining how this series came about and why it's important to have a Wildland Firefighter series. Okay, yeah, thanks. I'll take a stab at it and then my colleagues here can fill in any blanks or anything I leave out. So believe it or not, a uh, long time ago, back in the 50s and 60s, we actually used to have a Wildland Firefighter series and it was also the 0456 series, so they're all numbered. Um, and somewhere back around the beginning of the 70s, uh, it was deemed that it just 
wasn't necessary at the time based on our conditions and the way our organizations were set up. So at that point, they abolished that series or, or, or put it on a shelf and started classifying all of our wildland fire positions, regardless of like kind of uh, functional area or expertise, you know, dispatch, whatever, into a bunch of different series that already existed. So that went on for years and years and years until just recently in 2021 when the bipartisan infrastructure law was passed and a piece of uh, that legislation actually mandated the Office of Personnel Management, OPM, to go back and establish a new professional wildland firefighter series. So when that happened, OPM went back to the kind of drawing board and they said, well, we used to have one. We just put it on the shelf. So they revived that series, used the same numbering system, put together groups of SMEs and put together a position classification standard for it, which was released. Um, so it's all tied to that that legislation there. Um, so it's kind of interesting. You'll hear old salts in the business say, I remember when we used to have a 456 series way back way back when, and that's true, and it just went away for a while, and then now it's back. Uh, when it came back, we have no standard position descriptions. We have no guidance on how to implement or any of that kind of stuff, but we have a super short implementation uh, time frame with this whole uh, thing. So it's tied to deadlines in the law and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's it's a good thing. It's not going to be perfect because it's such a compressed implementation time frame. But I think it's um, over time, over you know the course of a career, it'll refine itself uh, down. It's a little different than other series where that stuff's been around for a long time and we know how those things work. So uh, I've personally heard it come up three or four times throughout my career in years past where somebody will bring up this need for a series. It never got any traction at all. And here we are, it finally got some traction and found its way into legislation. And it, to me, it's a long time coming. The, the issues that it um, that it takes care of for us and why it's such a good thing is we have been, uh, without our own series, we have been sort of shoehorned in other existing series. And that creates a lot of problems with multiple series covering the same sorts of jobs or the same program or the same discipline, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, you know, we're talking upwards of 10 or 15 different job series and then different position descriptions underneath that. Um, and, and one kind of instance in particular that demonstrates the problem with that is is, is some of our upper-level fire management positions were classified into the 401, 0401 Biological Sciences uh, series. And the issue with that is, is that that series, by definition, requires some positive education. So it requires upper-level college credits and that kind of things, which isn't that great for recruitment and retention and it puts sort of a ceiling in the middle of our organizations if that makes sense so it was all our like grade gs 10s and above had to have that 401 experience and it it wasn't necessarily that that education wasn't necessarily related to the duties of the job if that makes sense it's a requirement of the series it was in and they put it in that series because we didn't have an alternative. So that's just one example of a problem that the new 456 series will solve for us. Um, I think it truly recognizes while in fire as a profession. It's going to really make it a lot easier for recruitment, uh, for retention. It's going to give a clear career path from entry level, bottom of the of the, the rung, starting first day all the way to the end of your career to the top. It's going to clarify that. It's going to really recognize wildland firefighters for what they do instead of calling them forestry technicians or logistics management specialists or whatever all these other things are. We're, we're, we're actually wildland firefighters now, and it's a very cool opportunity right now, which is why we're here talking about it, to actually design this thing from the ground up and hopefully do it right, at least initially, where uh, it'll it'll solve a lot of our recruitment and, tension problem, recruitment and retention problems uh, and just make it easier for our our employees to stay employed, fairly compensated, and recognized for the actual work they're doing. So that's kind of a long question, but it's a it's a long history of how we, we got here for sure. So I'll open it up to some of the other folks, see if I missed anything. They're all shaking their heads no. It sounds like you covered it well. All right. <laughs> I do go. have a question, though, um, based on that. Um, or BLM isn't the only one. It's all federal agencies. Yeah, right? yeah, Something correct. So about. it's it's all federal agencies that are going to have wildland firefighters. So right now, that's the U.S. Forest Service on the Department of Agriculture side. 
and then it's the four uh, DOI, Department of Interior Bureaus, Bureau of Land Management, Bureau of Indian Affairs, National Park Service, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So that's that interagency working group I talked about a little bit earlier that, that we're all a part of. It's We're doing that on the DOI, the Department of Interior Working Group, trying to design these position descriptions and set this thing up for the future. But at the same time, there's uh, folks in our uh, human capital management offices at the department level that are coordinating with the Forest Service. So we're trying to do this all uh, together, the same standardized fashion kind of kind of a thing. So yeah, it's all federal wildland firefighters. And I imagine if there's other agencies out there that we're not thinking of that are going to have a wildland fire management program, they would be able to use these same the same classification standard and position descriptions, hopefully. So. All right. So LJ, uh, when will these positions in the O four five six series be advertised for people to apply for? We actually are advertising positions in the series today. We were issued the series, the position classification standard from Office of Personnel Management in the summer of 22 and didn't begin really working in earnest on it until November of 2022. We brought together all of the Department of the Interior bureaus as well as some classifiers from the U.S. Forest Service, as well as some experts from the Office of Personnel Management, and had a meeting here in Boise to get everybody on the same page and kind of map out our future workload. And so we worked on that throughout this past winter, and by March of this last year, end of March of this of this year, of 2023, we were able to issue the first position descriptions in the series. And so what's been issued to date is the GS3 through GS10 operations positions. So those are positions that would be used with engine crews and hand crews to include hotshot crews and veterans crews and fuels crews and wildland fire modules. It includes um, work in prevention. It includes work in planning and fuels management as well as hell attack work. And so it's a very all-encompassing group of positions that have, have been put together so far. And that was released, like I said, in March. And we've kind of been apprehensive a little bit, uh, waiting for more guidance from the department, from uh, OPM in some cases. And we finally started pulling the trigger on these at the beginning of the summer, advertising a few positions in the GS3 through 10 as well as starting in the last couple months working on uh, some of the fire management officer positions, which were also released as templates as part of that initial batch. And so right now that's what's been advertised. That's, that's what's available to be used. Actually, just this past week, some additional position descriptions in fuels management, in prevention, and in planning have been released and classified and issued for those positions. And once the BLM does their part in finalizing the classification on those, we'll be able to use those in very short order as well. And so we're, we're trying to get things issued as quickly as we can and then start advertising them just as, as soon as they hit the street. In some cases, not even waiting for them to be fully classified and maybe all the answers aren't there yet, but we're, we're stepping out on that limb and, and trying to stay uh, proactive with our, our recruitment. I think one way to think about this or something to realize is it's going to be a phased implementation. So we're kind of doing them in, in groups, if that makes sense. We're trying to take care of our like kind of higher priority ones first, things we have re- known recruitment retention issues with or ones that apply to the bulk of our suppression or preparedness workforce. And then we'll get to other um, kind of groups like smoke jumpers. It's a fairly small community. We only need a handful of PDs. It's fairly low priority. We'll get to those in the future. So it's a phased implementation and prioritized. Uh, so, yeah, good job, LJ. It was kind of cool to see that the first set came out from BLM, those positions for hell attack, and rolled out just before National Wildland Firefighter Day. So that actually was a great symbol to show that um, we did make those efforts. We talked about it last year when we rolled out National Wildland Firefighter Day, and this year was perfect timing to see our first BLM ones come out. So good job for all the work. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. And so we're planning on seeing as we go into hiring season in this fall, more of those coming out, right, and being advertised all over, right? Or 
Yeah, so one of our largest recruitment efforts that we do every year is our temporary seasonal recruitment. And the intent for this year is to advertise those positions using these new classified positions in the 0456. So our new wildland firefighter temporary seasonals come next fire year will be 0456 wildland firefighters. It's good to hear. Maybe easier for people to find them too. I know it's always when people ask about, you know, how do I f- apply for a wildland fire position? And then like, you have to go under forestry tech or range tech or whatever it was and then look for a wildland firefighter in the like sub description. So this will be a lot easier for people, I think, to be yeah. able to locate them as well. So for all those who are interested in looking for wildland fire jobs. So Cindy, I got the next, you got the next question. Okay. Uh, will people in the current forestry tech 0462 series. series position type position have to reapply or can those be converted to the new series? And how will that work? Well, uh, the, the simple answer to that for anyone currently employed is no, they don't have to reapply to their job. Um, but for current employees, um, we're still waiting for guidance from the department on how to let those individuals opt into the new position descriptions that may be targeted to replace a position they're currently in. So that, that, that's coming, but we don't have that information yet. For temporary employees um, that we bring on every year, we typically call them the 1039 employees, when they are released from the roles and when we go to rehire them, they can be rehired in the same grade, but in the new position description. There is no need to reapply to that because essentially it's the same position, same duties that are being described just under a different series. So they, they have no need to reapply to that. They want a promotion, they have to apply to the promotion. But um, but as we as we move forward and the announcements are posted and any current employee that applies to those will be moved into the new series if they get selected for that ser- the position. So will people, um, there's been like questions about like opting into the new series and or um, you know from their current positions will that come about like when they do hiring I mean how when will that so happen? I'll take a stab at it and Cindy could play cleanup so that's one interesting <laughs> thing uh, piece of the legislation uh, which none of us can ever recall seeing anything like that before that they actually made it an option for current wildland firefighters people currently in positions that are classified in something other than the new series they give them the option to opt in. And we've been calling it opting in. There's other terminology, elect in or, you know, join up or however you want to look at it. But that's the piece of guidance, the specific uh, how do we do that piece that we're still waiting on. Um, but there's a, I know there's a ton of questions out there. Like nobody's going to be forced for starters, right? You can stay in your current position. It's a choice that you're allowed to make under the law. We just don't know how we're going to have you make that choice and then what we do afterwards. But it's, we think it's as simple as a personnel action kind of a thing, uh, if you choose. But, I mean, the important thing to remember here is for any vacant positions, new recruitments, new announcements, we're using the 456. So at some point, all of these people that are in current 462 series, 401 or whatever, will sort of graduate out of the system if they don't opt out anyway. So over time, again, it's a phased thing. So I, I think that answers the question. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think it's eventually everyone will be in the 456 series. Yeah. Um, and the, But it's not for anyone who just really has a lot of reservations for whatever reasons those are, um, we aren't going to make people move to the new series. Um, it is is kind of new for us. We've never dealt with having to have people opt into positions or voluntarily move to positions. Normally, when new PDs are developed, we get, you know, we say, here they are. And we just, we have like 60 days and we move people into the new position descriptions. In this case, the legislation came out specifically saying opt-in. So that's why we are not moving people into new PDs right now. And again, we don't, like Jeff said, we do not know what that's going to look like. Uh, once we do, we will let people know and we'll identify who's in the current 462 or 401 PDs. And we'll say, here's your options. And you get the choice. Yeah, and I guess they can kind of look more into the position descriptions and like what what all it entails well, remember, to decide. Well, to, remember, to go back a little yeah. bit, like the phased implementation 
the first step is is having a position description to for them to opt into, and we're just not quite there yet with a whole bunch of the positions in fire. Right. So that once we get those, I mean, I I would imagine if I was going to opt in. I would want to see the position description I'm opting yes. into, and I would <laughs> I want so. several probably key questions answered. How does this affect my service computation date, my time grade? Right. Does retirement this affect benefits. retirement benefits, yeah. all that other stuff that I think we'll get to in the next question? But but we're totally aware of that um, kind of thirst for knowledge that's out there, and we want to give it to folks, and we're waiting on it ourselves too. And, and it, this is one that we want to make sure we proceed uh, smartly with. We don't want to run headlong into this without knowing all the ramifications and we want to get it right. right the first time. So, Because it's people's careers. It's people's jobs and careers and, and their pay. lives. So, and pay. And yeah. pay. So we don't want to affect anybody's right. pay. And so that's the other thing I know people might be concerned about. Um, well, what if it's a different grade? Well, we're not going to have you opt into a position that's a different grade. It, so so we're, we're trying to preserve the grades uh, for anyone in their current positions. So Rob... There seems to be some confusion about, you know, all the changes coming with this new series and firefighter pay. Can you explain the difference between the 0456 series, like special wildland fire coverage and pay incentives? Sure. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> you, you know, as, as Jeff has alluded to, you know, there is a, a lot of complexity with how this whole thing is rolled out. And so it's easy um, to really sort of merge all that stuff together. Luckily, I like to claim that I'm the, the simple guy in the group. And so I like to look at those separately, right? So the 456 series is the series for wildland firefighters that is separate from retirement coverage. Retirement coverage is based on laws and a whole bunch of other stuff that's really HR focused, but it is uh, it really is primarily based on uh, covered positions. The 456 series is not the only position that's going to be eligible for special firefighter retirement coverage. So that stuff is is kind of separate yet connected, right? So I think the other thing there with pay incentives and pay, you know, we get asked this a lot in our group. All the questions come to us, it seems like, about pay, and Cindy gets it from the HR side of the house. Uh, pay incentives are not something that we as building these PDs that we're looking at. The other folks, HR and others, are looking at that. And I will say the administration is really pushing for a more permanent pay fix and uh, and all the things that go along with pay. But for, I think, the intents of this purpose and this conversation, those are separate. Pay is something that, um, that happens down the way a little bit. And, Cindy, I can hand it off to you if you have any clarification on that. No, I think you covered it well. Right. With that, we will get to some of the questions we had from some of our employees who submitted them. And I'll have Jennifer start. All right. First of all, just say thanks for everyone that submitted questions. There are some of the questions that are very similar, and so we've kind of compiled them together. Um, I know that talking with Carrie, we are going to come up with a um, FAQ document that's going to go with this podcast, so we'll have more um, in-depth answers um, if you guys don't have anything from what we're getting from today. So we're going to start with those yeah. questions. I was going to say we'll add to that as we get more information as we go through this process. We'll keep adding to that. Awesome. So first one is um, – it goes to LJ. I think we're going to talk about that as the different um, for this different series. So dispatch and how do some of the other different positions fit into this series? So dispatch has been a hot button topic. Um, when the position classification standard for the 0456 series came out, it clearly articulated in the standard that dispatch is not included as part of the 0456 series. And we push back on that. Like I mentioned before, when we met everybody together in November of 22, we made our plan for the future. And part of that plan that we, BLM especially, continued to beat the drum for is dispatch is critical to be a part of this series. The knowledge required of a fire dispatcher is fire knowledge. It's wildland firefighter knowledge. And whether they're sitting in a dispatch center or they're out on the fire line, it requires very specific wildland firefighter knowledge. And so we continued to push on that and convinced the Department of the Interior to bring together a panel of dispatch experts. And 
we brought together a, a small group in Salt Lake City in this last February, and we wrote down all of the competencies that are, are required of, of firefighter dispatchers. Everything from what we would expect from a GS-2 to a GS-14 at the National Interagency Coordination Center. And we identified all those competencies and having people who had no idea really what we do or what those dispatchers do, their minds were blown uh, of how much specific fire knowledge, everything from behavior to weather to understanding the the lingo and the acronyms and all of that stuff that's required, specific aviation knowledge. We, when we walked out of the room, I had the sense that they were convinced. They were convinced that this is more than just general dispatching, uh, general answering a phone and talking on a radio. I think they got that understanding. It took some time for them to gather all that information up and go through a vetting process to identify what those competencies, what are the, the knowledges, the skills, the abilities to articulate what a dispatcher does specific to wildland firefighting so that they can pass that information back to the Office of Personnel Management and say, we, Department of the Interior, believe this was mistaken and it needs to be a part of this series. Within the last couple of weeks, we've actually been granted the approval to proceed on developing position descriptions specific to the 0456 Wildland Firefighter Series for dispatchers. It's a huge opportunity and we're gonna take every advantage of it. Uh, there was so much work done by that SME group that came together in Salt Lake to do a lot of the, the behind the scenes work that we normally would do as part of our SME PD writing group and so a lot of that work's already done for us, but we're going to take it forward and create the position descriptions that take right now f between five and six different series that we have dispatchers classified in. There are logistics dispatchers that require no firefighting experience. There are forestry technicians and there are uh, other logistics series and uh, and. Uh, like I said, five or six different series that we've been shoving dispatch positions into that none of them really made sense. And Jeff kind of touched on that in the first question on, you know, how scattered we were with things. Well, this is the opportunity to bring all of that together in one effort and classify all of our dispatchers, regardless of, of what they do, get them all under this wildland firefighter fighter series and show that that the knowledge that they have and the experience they have as dispatchers requires paramount wildland firefighter knowledge. And so what that will do is that it will also create some flexibilities that we've not had in the past. In the past, we've not had the opportunity to bring in unexperienced firefighters directly. We had to put them into a completely different series that had a very low cap, um, like a GS-5 or a GS-7 was the top end of the logistics dispatch series. And so it limited those people and they had to find some other opportunity to go get wildland firefighter experience before they could move into a, a different dispatch position and, and move up through a dispatch organization. We hope to get rid of that. The key hurdle that we're, we're trying to get over right now, and, and I think we're very close to, is we have the opportunity to identify that wildland firefighting is defined by this series. And as soon as you do something as any position in the 456 series, you're wildland firefighting. And if we add dispatch to that, dispatching is wildland firefighting. And so in the past, and, and I'll jump to the next question because I know what the next question is going to be. In the past, we had this barrier of 90 days of wildland firefighting experience. Um, it was put in place to define what is wildland firefighting in a series that is not wildland firefighting. It was 
a forestry technician or a range technician or a biological science professional, we had to define what's wildland firefighting because those those series, those the four five sixes and the four five fives and the four ones and all those things didn't define firefighting. They were they were for forestry people or range people or so we had to say this is what wildland firefighting is and we defined it at one point as 90 days of X number of wildland firefighting experience. And it was just that. It was just a definition to say, okay, for a person to be a wildland firefighter, this is what they've done, and they've done it for a season or 90 days. And that's how we ended up with that. And what it's become is this barrier to recruitment, not only for dispatchers, but for a variety of our positions to be able to say, you can't come into this position because you don't have these 90 days. It, it excluded a lot of people and continues to exclude people today. Where we're at is we have made the ask to the department to go back and reconsider that 90 days is no longer needed to be defined because as soon as you spend one hour or one day in a 456 position, you are a wildland firefighter because you're doing what's defined as a wildland firefighter. And so that barrier has been a huge barrier in the dispatch arena. And if we can if we can get that removed and get it both the dispatch positions um, under the 456 series and get away from the 90 days, then we will no longer have to use some of these other avenues that we were using as workarounds to get dispatchers in and recruit people who have no firefighting experience. Well, why would they be any different than uh, a GS3 employee that gets hired onto an engine crew that also has no experience? Why were we excluding them for that? But we were. So hopefully we'll be able to, to get past this, and it's looking very positive that we'll be able to proceed. One thing I'll just add, and that was a great answer, is over the years it's kind of been confused or convoluted with the requirement to be in a position versus a requirement to qualify for special firefighter coverage. And those two things have sort of crossed streams there and got us into a pickle. Like, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but, it, you know, there's primary and secondary covered uh, positions in, in wildland fire. And somebody with no fire experience can actually be in a secondary covered position. They just don't get firefighter retirement. So that's kind of this thing that... that came out of this whole thing is people are saying, well, you can't be in that secondary covered position, dispatch center manager, for example, because you don't have your 90 days of prior fire experience. Well, that's incorrect. They can be in that position. They just don't get firefighter retirement. But this is an example of this kind of thing that came out of us being shoehorned into other series that weren't a clean fit and us having to define what do you mean by wildland firefighting because it wasn't defined anywhere else, so we made this rule up 20 years ago, and it worked pretty good at the time. Well, now we got a series, and page one is the definition, and we don't need those old rules anymore. It should clean everything up and streamline it really well. So it's another huge bonus and opportunity that came out of this new series. So. Maybe one quick addition to what LJ said that I thought was really valuable is, you know, that the bill required OPM to create this new series, very short time frame. And so when we met here in Boise, you know, OPM's response, I think, was something like, you guys have chosen to use all these other series to describe your dispatch work. We quickly pointed out that, you know, that, that, that wasn't necessarily our doing, right? We were trying to get people in positions. It was a bunch of Band-Aids, right? And so credit to OPM and others for taking the expertise of these SME groups because we have really pushed um, for the the needs of the firefighters on the ground. So I think that's really important for folks to know is everybody's really come together and worked well in this effort. And the final piece on the dispatch, all the Department of the Interior group made an agreement as soon as we started talking about the possible inclusion of dispatch that regardless of where we were at in our effort, we would drop everything and make dispatch the priority when we got to that point, when we got the approval. And so we're now there. 
we have the approval to start working on it. And so that's what we're working on today. Um, so for the dispatchers um, and anybody in general, how long is the process for developing a PD and then making it available for use? How long does that usually take? <laughs> sorry. I mean, like, 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 who wants of course, to guess? that's like, yeah. I mean, and typically just so... A year from, I mean. So let me explain how bureaucracy works. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's what I figured. We don't have enough time for that. Yeah. yeah, we don't. Have, we only have an hour. It's it's really you know we joke about it and and some things they seem so simple and they they end up taking a lot more time and so it's really hard to say. Uh, we have put a a expectation that we've completed all of our four five six standard position description work by December 2023. And so that's our deadline. And so we will at least get things in the hopper of classification by December is is what all of our timeframes, our, our workload is focused around accomplishing in the next few months. If I, if I had a crystal ball, it, I, I can just tell you that it's our priority. It's going to be the next batch. We've got a few that we're cleaning up that are kind of in limbo, almost there. We're just going to clean those up. And like LJ said earlier, or Rob, I can't remember who said that there's a brand new big batch that just came out. All the fuels, management, prevention, uh, planning PDs just came out. Dispatchers are next, and they're a priority. So I can't see it taken all the way till December. But, you know, I, speaking of bureaucracy, I've been in one for 34 years. So, um, but, but it is our priority, and we need to get them done. And, and for obvious reasons, because we have recruitment, retention issues in dispatch. They're scattered amongst five or six series right now. We've got all these career ladder problems. We, we got problems there. So just the fact that they gave us the green light to start working on them, we're doing it uh, now. So I, I don't, they're a high priority for everybody to get done. I don't see it dragging on another six months. They're uh, hopefully be be fairly quick. And we've got some great uh, SMEs lined up from the dispatch world, uh, BLM and the other agencies ready to go on deck to help us with this stuff because none of us have ever worked in a dispatch center. So we're going to lean pretty hard on, on our dispatch community for help with these. So Great. That's what I thought. I didn't mean to put you guys on the spot, but <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the question from dispatch. Like, how long is it going to take? But yeah, you guys are here for sure to get that done priority. So great to hear. All right. Uh, our next question that we have is talking about our aviation positions above the crew supervision. Um, and I think that, Rob, you're going to talk about that. Sure. Yeah. You know, much to what Jeff just talked about, we have batches that we're working on. Uh, we've had a lot of discussion amongst our group, amongst the aviation uh, leadership community that, you know, we, we have sort of a few aviation focused positions, right? There's the sort of air tanker base kind of positions. That's going to be one set of PDs that we're going to be working on. There's the sort of aviation management piece, which would be your sort of unit level aviation manager, maybe your state level aviation manager. And if there's any sort of crossover uh, national office kind of uh, work there, which we're working on that already. Um, but they're not started. They're next, you know, they're next in line after after we get real key, especially when dispatch comes online. So we have the aviation uh, management, we have tanker base, and we have also the smoke jumper stuff. Should be noted, though, that we have already addressed some aviation positions in the first batch of operations. So the helitac positions, those are those are in that first batch of PDs, and they're they're out there. So yeah, it's just really how we break stuff up into, into small workable pieces is kind of the focus of what we've done there. But aviation's in there, it's on the list and they're gonna be coming right along. Awesome, and we'll stick with you on the next one, but why would somebody not wanna opt into these, this series? You know, I think um, it's, it's interesting to me because we get a lot of those questions about why should I go or why should I stay? Or I would just say, you know, it's been, Jeff and everybody that spoke so far has kind of hit a few little pieces of this. I think, to me, what I take from this is the new revised 456 series that was last in use in 1972, it has acknowledged that what our people do is important. Um, it makes them uh, in, in, in a series that they can see the path, right, just like Jeff said. And so... It's without really having the sort of opt-in sort of direction from the department or from OPM or whoever else, what I see right now is everything that this series has done is supposed to be a positive impact for our employees, making it easier to find it when they look for jobs, clear path when they try to promote through the system, 
understanding what it takes, you know, when they're maybe they're a high school and they're considering what they want to do as a career. Um, you know, this series doesn't require a positive college education requirement to get to a higher level position now. Doesn't mean we don't want college graduates. It just means, you know, Johnny that works, you know, that grew up on, on a farm somewhere, maybe he wants to just jump right into the workforce. This allows that. And so for me, the why, why not? I don't know. Um, I think there's what we see, and I think we're that those of us who working on the PDs, we see a lot of positive. We see the fact that the PDs are simpler than what they used to be, and we've tried to make those less location-centric and more this is the job you're doing, and it gives flexibility for how that stuff gets used. So, Yeah, that's good. I think that's where a lot of people's questions are. So there's a lot more positives than the reasons why they shouldn't. Yeah, one other thing Rob just kind of hit on, I'll just throw in real briefly, is our group, I, I guess all of us in general that are working on this stuff are really looking at this as an opportunity to consolidate and standardize. Like the days of having 400 different PDs for dispatchers, for example, like we don't need that. I mean, we're sort of looking at it like, I mean, we, we're just working on some state office, like for BLM, state fire management officer PDs, for example, but we're in there with the Department of Interior SME group and the BIA is going to use that for their regional FMOs. The FISH is going to do the same. So we're looking at this idea of, like, they're not that different when you really boil down the job duties amongst BIA, FISH, Forest Service, amongst different units, different states. This is a lumping exercise for us to, and, and that, in the end, will simplify everything, the hiring process, the, the selecting official process, all that stuff, and take some work off of our poor HR folks that, honestly, we are not doing them any favors every time we fly a fire job before we had this series because we have 900 PDs for an, the same engine captain job, for example. You know, I'm exaggerating, but you get you get the point here. And, and so we've been going about this whole thing, like Rob said, with the idea of standardizing and streamlining as much as we can, which is a huge benefit to everybody if we can knock some HR workload back and make uh, people translatable between agencies. It's the same PDs. If I want to go do that job in the BIA or, the, or FISH and hopefully Forest Service is real close to us, that's a huge thing for us instead of um, specializing and just proliferating all these individual special uh, position descriptions out there. So it's sort of a long-winded way of saying that we're trying to make this simple and better for everybody. I think that's one of, one of the, the key points. And I'll just say, to round this out, <laughs> from my perspective, I'm HR, and I think that everyone will agree, I don't see any pitfalls to opting into the series. I think for current employees, you know, look at the PDs, but I don't, I don't see any pitfalls from it because we're going to do everything we can to make sure that it's no adverse, no adverse action to you. Right. Because the series, remember, is, a, is independent from retirement coverage. Mm -hmm. So, and independent of pay incentives. So when we get to that point of opt in and we get the guidance, just make sure you read the position description and all that other stuff is lined up. And yeah, I, I'm with you, Cindy. I can't, I can't see any reason why not to at this point, but until we actually see that guidance, we won't, we won't know for sure. I was just gonna say, if I mean, if people have questions, and there will be more questions, obviously we don't have all the answers, they can always reach out to their HR folks too. All right, thank you guys for that one. Um, the next question is talking about fire caches and wage grade positions, if they're gonna be included, and as well as um, support roles. So we'll start with Jeff on the wage grade questions. Okay, and I'll, maybe I'll zoom out a little bit and talk about all these other kind of positions we have that are in support of the fire program. Uh, and some of them might have firefighter retirement coverage, special firefighter retirement coverage, for example. There's a whole bunch of positions out there that are not going to be in the 456 series because of the way they've defined it. They've actually told us this series, for starters, only applies to general schedule GS employees, right? So that's I found that in there today. I was doing some homework and found it. Um, but that doesn't mean that those folks are not important to us. It doesn't mean if they're doing duties that qualify for them for firefighter retirement coverage that they won't get that or whatever. It's a, <laughs> Unfortunately, I've learned more about position classification than I ever thought I would when I joined up in fire. So, um, but 
that's really the first step when you take the duties of a position as a classifier. You look at it, the first thing you determine is which series of schedule it fits in, which classification set. So there's wage grade, there's general schedule, there's SES, which is our senior executive service, there's a bunch of other ones. So that's really step one. So cash positions, warehouse, materials handlers, equipment operators, dozer drivers, those type of folks, step one is they're classifying them into the wage grade series, which is actually okay because they're properly classified into their series according to the duties and the position. And if people don't know, wage grade, the wage grade pay scale is a little bit different. It's based on prevailing wages and there's some other nuances there too. But um, so that's why our warehouse folks, uh, our dozer drivers, those kind of folks aren't going to be in this professional wildland series, firefighting series. Doesn't preclude them from getting an incentive based on when that is finalized and comes out. Doesn't preclude them from qualifying or getting special firefighter retirement coverage if the duties are there that support that. For example, our, our primary fire BLM fire dozer operators, for example. Um, so just everybody's just got to remember those things are they're not dependent on each other. They're related, but they are not dependent. So, And there's a whole bunch of other kind of support positions out there, and I think Cindy will kind of expound on those a little bit. Yeah. So um, like Jeff said, you know, the series wasn't intended to cover all positions that may be established within the wildland fire community as a whole. Um, you know, other positions outside of what Jeff is talking about, you know, pilots, for example, they're covered under special retirement, but they will stay in their own series um, so is what, and they're properly classified in their own series. So this classification has their own set of rules and how they determine what positions go into what series. Um, you know, we've learned, like Jeff said, we've learned a whole lot about that. I am not a classifier by trade, but I pretend to play one sometimes. Um, <laughs> And uh, it doesn't always work out so well for me. But anyway, um, <laughs> so anyway, and, and as well as um, I see, I see business management as well. I mean, they're, they're classified in different series. And like Jeff said, doesn't mean they wouldn't be covered under the special retirement, just that they would not be in the specific series. So we're still going to have a host of different series within the wildland fire community as a whole. But the new series will bring us down to where we, we can identify ones that are actual wildland firefighters and the primary work is wildland firefighting. So it really depends on what they're specializing in, I guess, for the position. Right. It goes back to the duties of the position, yeah. right? And and that's, so that's basic classification 101. But again, remember that pay incentives, retirement coverage, and position classification, they're just related, but they're not dependent on each other. I mean, we've seen some things, for example, the pay incentive, I'm looking at Rob to keep me honest here, but <laughs> pay incentives so far have been limited to people uh, that are in special firefighter retirement covered positions. That's so far, I say, so far, because we haven't had 456 PDs. We don't know what that's going to look like based on pending legislation that's coming at us in the future. But one would be led to believe that it's going to be very, very similar, um, which includes non-456 series positions, right? So So, some of those support positions. Yeah, yeah, That's what we're hearing. Yeah. So LJ, that kind of goes along with this. there's like actual qualifications or different types of qualifications for fire. This question was more about like a natural resource specialist who maybe has a read or some other type of fire qualification. Is there going to be anything created for them like in this series? Are they going to be cl- included? So no, not, <laughs> no is the simple this answer. Is, <laughs> because basically it is a qualification. Yeah, so there, there's kind of a couple job. parts to this question. So natural resource specialists, natural resource specialists exist within our fire organizations. We have uh, archaeologists, we have GIS specialists, we have fire ecologists, we have all sorts of different very science-oriented positions that have to be a part of our decision-making process. They support our fire management officers, and they're a part of our fire organizations. Like Jeff just said in the previous question, they are properly classified in the series that they're under. The 0401 um, and, and a few other series make sense for those positions. They require that additional education, that positive education, to be a part of those positions. So they'll still be in the fire program. 
they'll still likely be supervised by someone in the fire program that may be under a 0456 series. There's nothing that precludes us from having that. But they, they're not going to be, you know, a part or included in the 0456 positions themselves because they need that specific science knowledge. Qualifications that may be specific to those positions, they may hold a resource advisor or an archaeologist or something like that as a qualification. And those could be both people within the fire organization as well as people in the field offices and district offices and state offices. Those are people that support our fire operations and and we can't operate without them. However, that's their day job is as a range con or as a wild horse and burrow specialist or a petroleum engineer, their day jobs won't change. They'll still be able to support fire, but they won't fall under this series. Jennifer, I have switching questions here. So, Jeff, in the non-supervisory positions that can be multi-grade, will IFPM requirements, and what is IFPM? Uh, Interagency Fire Program Management Standards. Standards, okay. Thank you for that, because some people, you know, we just have so many acronyms here. For example, if a fire management specialist fuels position can be flown as a 7911, would the IFPM requirements be different? For each grade level. Yeah, so let me zoom out a little bit and give people a tiny bit of background on, on IFPM, Interagency Fire Program Management. Uh, that is a set of um, qualifications, or you can think of it as selective factors or conditions of employment applied to certain positions within our fire programs. And that came out of uh, Blue Ribbon Panel reports following the South Canyon fire as a direct result of some issues or inadequacies in fire management in some of those key positions and the desire of the fire community to uh, have some basic qualification requirements, or, or I guess is the easiest way to put it, for certain positions like fire management officer, hotshot superintendent, engine captain, things like that. So that's what IFPM is. That's what's getting referred to here. The question is because, so first of all, in this series, if it's a supervisory position, it cannot be flown multi-graded. So they're, they're one single grade. So if you're going to be a GS 10 hotshot superintendent, for example, we cannot advertise that as a 910. It's a straight 10. That's that's how it is. So what they're asking here is the non-supervisory positions, which we can, and we are slaying, as we call it, stacking the PDs. We can use multiple PDs. And so say a good example is um, in the ops PDs that we've already released, um, the, if we're looking for a GS6 senior firefighter, we can actually use the other PDs below that and advertise and fill the job as like a GS3, 4, 5, 6, for example. So we can do that because they're non-supervisory. not saying we're going to do that. We still have to do some more work on whether that's a good idea or not, but uh, we can. We could technically do that. Um, and in that case, the IFPM requirement, which is senior firefighter that's identified in the standard, uh, would only apply at the GS6 level. And we already said that in the first uh, implementation guidance. So... I'm hoping that answers the question. So for the non-supervisor ones, using this example, so three, four, five, six, you could enter the position at any one of those grade levels. However, before you move into the GS6, you would have to meet that IFPM requirement, just like you would have to meet time and grade or any other sort of selective factors that are in there. And I'm looking at Cindy to make sure I didn't leave something no, out or you, bungle No, you said that. it right. You said it right. Um, okay. And so what we would do is we would call that a condition of employment to get to the full performance level of the position. So if you are flying a full performance level six, we ran it as a four, five, six, you come in at the four level, you could not, you could move up to the five, but you couldn't get to six until you met the selective factor that was identified for a senior firefighter. Right. And in, in, in this case, it would be an IFPM requirement, but there may be other selective factors out there that a selecting official would want to apply at that, at that top grade level. So that's one of the nice things about the flexibility of this series is we're allowed to do that. And it's a great recruitment thing. It kind of lets us like grow our own. And we have really a lot of recruitment problems in a lot of locations out there where we can bring somebody in at that lower grade level and sort of like train them and get, get them those qualifications over time, and then they're in that full performance level. So that's a huge, huge bonus of this this series. So, All right, just a couple more questions. We're going to bump to the number 14 with Rob. Can you talk a little bit about the exempt, non-exempt 
Um, the example here is a GS10 FOS. Is that going to be an exempt or non exempt? I feel like this is probably a Cindy question, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think the exempt, non exempt, the series is based on exempt and non exempt is going to be based on if you're a supervisor, right? So GS10 supervisor, that is exempt. GS8 engine captain supervisor, that's exempt. Um, and so I think it's important that people know that that is, is different than the way it looks now, especially at the engine captain. So um, the rest of it is really the sort of HR piece, which I'll hand over to Cindy because I think it's really important that it's clear for everybody. I don't know if I'm going to be able to clear it up any, but, um, you know, what, to determine whether you're exempt or non-exempt, there's uh, several factors that go into play. So you can't just say, oh, you're a supervisor or you're this grade and you're exempt or non-exempt. It's not that clear cut. That's why the classification group usually goes through a checklist of things and makes the final determination on that. I would say, by and large, all supervisors are typically always exempt from Fair Labor Standard Act or FLSA. Um, so that's something that you just have to be aware of. All right. I think one of the last ones um, that they had is supervisoring. Who can supervise um, a 465 um, and who can a 465 oh. supervise? I don't know who you want to say, but I know uh, LJ kind of touched on that just briefly in one of his answers. But in reality, there is nothing written specifically that prohibits one series from supervising another series. I think the issue came up in this context in some of our conversations because we're moving from 401s to 456s, and it's going to be a period of time that we, we do this transition. So there will be periods where we have 456s established. We may have a 401 that reports to the 456, maybe because they decided not to opt into the 456 series, or um, it's just that ser that person is still a four is still legitimately a 401 for whatever reason and you know we try to avoid that to some degree it is, it's overall it's a classification issue but it's also a position management issue so there's a couple things that go into determining who can supervise whom it's not super clear again hr nothing's ever clear right so <laughs> <laughs> but anyway that's kind of you know there nothing says you can't do it but just understand that it it, it there's we have a lot of things going on over the next probably year or more as we transition fully into the 456 series. All right. Thank you for that. Um, that is the end of the questions from um, our field folks. Um, appreciate everyone answering those. Um, hopefully that clarifies um, the questions that are out there. Definitely, like we've heard, more information is coming, more guidance is coming. And as soon as these fine folks get that, they'll be sharing it with everybody. So I'll pass that back to my host, Carrie. All right, Jennifer. Thank you for those final comments. Are there any other final comments that maybe something we had missed or not touched on right now? I know a lot of it's still kind of up in the air. Um, really, this podcast was to let people know, a lot of our employees know kind of what's going on with this new series, but also those maybe interested in, in looking at wildland firefighting as potential position to be thinking about these things. And really, when you're going in and looking at these positions, look at, look at the requirements and and what is going to be required of you to be a wildland Yeah, I guess one thing I would add is just ask everybody for a little patience there. Like you just said, somebody just said, it, there is a lot going on right now, and we want to make sure we do this right the first time. We can't magically produce, you know, a bunch of PDs with firefighter retirement coverage and all the questions answered overnight. It just doesn't happen. Um, so we need a little bit of time to get there and just to everybody kind of bear with us, but hopefully – you know, this session, we've sort of communicated the path we're going and at least our theory on how we want to get there and what we want to do with the thing. It's just going to take some time to get there. We just get a lot of questions about, you know, people tapping their watch and going, hey, when, when, when? And you're like, we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, so just that's just an ask. One thing I just ask folks out there to remember is there is a ton going on right now, and, and it just takes time to implement these kind of things. This is a big deal. It's never been done before, at least in my career and my business, is a big deal. And so there's a lot of work behind the scenes that go along with it. We're not keep trying to keep secrets from anybody. Like if we tell you we don't know, we don't know either. <laughs> that's like a legit answer. People always think that we're hiding stuff here at the National Office or whatever. It's like, no, we're asking the same questions you are, just to a different level. And we want to get the information out there uh, as much as possible, which is why sessions like this are awesome. So, 
Well, and then when things come up, like the dispatch, whole, that whole dispatch series, you know, are they going to be included and initially not, you know, we'll work through those things and right. hopefully be able to right. solve some of those questions and get those answers. Well, thank you all for being here today. Kind of a little messy start with the microphones and the headphones and all this, but I think it seemed to work out okay. And yeah, it was a great group. I really appreciate you all being here to talk about this series and just getting it off the ground and getting out there um, some information for folks. And thank you for being available to do this as well. You know, we're all busy. All right. Thanks, Carrie, for that. And thank you guys again for joining us today. Again, a lot of great information. And yes, fire people are not patient, but we definitely ask that the folks be patient because, like I said, behind the scenes, these guys are doing a lot of work. And so we thank you guys for that and appreciate it. To learn more about NIFSI or the BLM, please visit us at our website at www.nifsi.gov. If you have questions, comments, or even topic suggestions for future podcasts, email them by visiting the nifsi.gov website. Scroll down to the Contact Us, use Wildfire Matters podcast in the subject line. And remember, follow us at BLM Fire on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you all for listening, and please join us next time when we uh, take a look back at the people who have joined us for the prior uh, 20 episodes about why why they really enjoy working for the BLM and in in fire, and we'll uh, have a little conversation between Jennifer and I. It'll be fun for recruitment time. Until, Until then, then, stay, stay safe, safe and be wildfire, wildfire aware. aware.